Welcome to our weekly podcast. If you're a guest with us today, you're listening in for the first time, we want to welcome you and encourage you to check out the Connection Central link on our website. If you click that button, you can learn more about who we are as Onalaska Church of Christ. Well, if you have a Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Today's message uh, really comes from the entire chapter of Matthew 23, um, but we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 12, and then periodically throughout the message, I'm going to encourage you to read the other verses in your own time. So Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. During his life and ministry on earth, Jesus had several controversial encounters with the Jewish religious leaders. What we're reading today was Jesus' last public message before his crucifixion. And I think it certainly falls into the category of being a controversial encounter. His instruction to the crowds, to the disciples, and then the scathing condemnation of false religion that follows. We see that in verses 13 through 37. This undoubtedly shocked his listeners. The average Jew would have looked to their religious leaders as examples of what it meant to be righteous and holy. Not hypocrites, as Jesus frequently called them. Being a religious leader in Jerusalem during Jesus' day was very different from someone being a pastor or an elder in our day today. Israel's history, culture, and daily life all centered around its relationship with God. The religious leaders were the best known, the most powerful, the best dressed, and the most respected of all the leaders in Jerusalem. More than a dozen times in this chapter alone, Jesus refers to the religious leaders as hypocrites. Blind guides, blind fools, snakes, and my personal favorite, sons of vipers. (laughs) I think that's a a good Christian cuss word. If someone uh, does something that makes you mad at them, you can call them a son of a viper. Um, Jesus did it, so you can too. (laughs) While there's good reason for this, and we're going to talk about all those reasons today, I want to remind you that not all of the religious leaders in Jesus' day were hypocrites. It's estimated that there were around 6,000 Pharisees at any given time. And many of these men, uh, they were followers, but not full-fledged members of the group. Most of the Pharisees were middle-class businessmen who were sincere in their quest for truth and holiness. And a few of them were actually mentioned by name in the Bible. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees who sought Jesus out because he knew that God had sent him. So during his encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus was able to share an extremely important truth. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 
Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee who struggled with faith and fear, but he eventually decided to follow Jesus. In fact, I'd like for us to read about what Nicodemus was doing the last time he's mentioned in Scripture. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. This is what we read. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And with him came Nicodemus, the man who'd come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who was honestly seeking after God. And by the time of Jesus' crucifixion, he had grown bold enough in his faith to publicly reveal what he believed. Now, while Nicodemus' story is definitely an encouraging one, for the most part, the Pharisees used their religion and their position of authority to promote themselves and to grow their own wealth. So it's no wonder Jesus denounced them on several occasions. Throughout Matthew chapter 23, Jesus repeatedly warned them about their behavior, about their poor example to others. He called them hypocrites because their actions didn't match their words. And friends, that's exactly what a hypocrite is. It's when you say you believe one thing and then you live differently. See, the Pharisees claimed that they wanted people to know God, yet they opposed Jesus, the Son of God. In these first 12 verses, Jesus highlights three flaws of these hypocritical Pharisees. And as Christians, it's important that we learn about these flaws so that we don't make the same mistakes in our own lives. You'll notice that I entitled today's message, An Appearance of Godliness. An Appearance of Godliness. You know, as a church, and certainly as individuals, we don't want to just look the part. We want to practice what we preach. So the first point that we're going to talk about today is this. The religious leaders had a false concept of righteousness. The religious leaders had a false concept of righteousness. We learn about this truth in verse 2 and 3. These verses say that the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you. But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. So when Jesus said that the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses, he was pointing out that they had actually assumed a position of authority that was not theirs to begin with. Uh, The literal translation here is this. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in Moses' seat. So they saw a seat that they wanted to sit in, a seat of authority, a seat of, of power, and they decided to sit there. It wasn't theirs to begin with. It's crazy to me that the Jewish religious leaders had gained the kind of power, authority, popularity, and recognition they had because there's no record in the Bible of God assigning any kind of authority to this group. Their only authority, uh, when they preached it and taught it correctly, was the word of God. And that's why Jesus told the crowds and the disciples to practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example. See, Jesus instructed the people 
to obey whatever the Pharisees taught from the word, but they were not to obey all the man-made rules and regulations that the Pharisees came up with because the Pharisees didn't practice what they preached. For the hardcore Pharisee, righteousness meant following all the rules. That's what it was all about. It was all about what you wore, how you spoke, making sure you did all the right things. But in their pursuit of looking the part, they completely ignored the condition of the heart. And that's why a little bit later on in Matthew 23, uh, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean too. Something that stood out to me this week from this passage is this, that religion for these religious leaders lacked relationship and life transformation. It was all about the man-made rules. It was all about the regulations that really only further crushed people with unbearable religious demands. The Pharisees were so careful to say the right words and to follow the right ceremonies, but they didn't truly know and love the Lord. They certainly didn't love people. If we go back to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 16, verse 7, we're reminded that God doesn't see things the way that we see them. Uh, As people, we typically judge other people by what we can see on the outside. Um, the clothes that they wear, the job that they have, their vocabulary, um, the relationships that they have. So we, we tend to judge people by what we can see on the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's what the Bible teaches us. If we jump to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 45, this is what we read, that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what a person says often reveals the condition of their heart, at least what they say consistently. And to say one thing and then to practice another, this, friends, is the definition of hypocrisy. That's what being a hypocrite is. While Jesus was definitely speaking to the religious leaders during his day about the hypocrisy in their lives, God's word is speaking to us today, encouraging us to do a careful examination of our own lives. A couple of important questions for us today. Are the Christian songs that we sing, the songs of worship that we sing on Sunday morning, are these words an accurate picture of how we live throughout the rest of the week? Or is this one hour of worship vastly different from the other six days and 23 hours that we live outside these walls? I think those are good questions to ask. The Pharisees, they had a false concept of righteousness. They didn't practice what they preached. They looked the part on the outside, but their hearts just were not in it. I think this is a great time for all of us to ask God to show us if there's anything in our lives contrary to his word. In fact, before we go any further today, I'd like to give all of us the opportunity to go to God in prayer, just right where you're at, silently, right where you're at, and ask him to point out anything in your life that might be offensive to him. If you don't know what to pray this morning, You could simply pray David's prayer from Psalm 51, where he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So before we move on, I just want to give you a few moments uh, to pray silently, just right where you're at. And then I'll lead us into the second point.
The second point that I want to talk about today is this, that the religious leaders had a false concept of ministry. So not only did they have a false concept of righteousness, but they had a false concept of ministry as well. We see this in verse 4. It says, They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. So ministry for these religious leaders meant handing down man-made rules and regulations to the people and adding to their burdens. In other words, they were harder on others than they were on themselves. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Man, these are words that we all need to hear today. A yoke is a heavy wooden harness that fits over the shoulders of an ox or a group of ox, oxen. And it's attached to a piece of equipment that the oxen are trained to pull. It's certainly heavy. Um, I looked up a few photos of what this looks like this past week because I honestly had no idea. I've read this passage probably a dozen times in my life, and I've taught through it at least one or two other times. And I've never looked up a photo of what this would be like for, for a group of ox uh, or oxen. But um, it looks heavy for sure. So what does that have to do with ministry? What does that have to do with our our faith, and our walk with Christ. The amount of people that listen into the message each week or attend service here in person, um, there's a good chance that there are several people who are just carrying a heavy burden today. Maybe you're carrying a burden of, of sin. Maybe you're carrying the burden of broken relationships or even struggles in your faith. Maybe these are burdens that you haven't shared with anyone. But an amazing truth is that Jesus invites all who are weary all who carry heavy burdens to come to him for the kind of rest and healing that only he can provide. These verses are highlighting an important truth about how Jesus frees people from burdens. You know, the kind of rest that Jesus provides is love, healing, and peace with God and others. One commentary writer said that a relationship with Jesus changes meaningless, wearisome toil into spiritual productivity and purpose. So where Jesus came to lighten our burdens, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they emphasized legalistic religion, which only makes the burden heavier. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done first. I would say with the exception of asking God for forgiveness because Jesus was sinless, he didn't have to do that. The religious leaders, they instructed people to do things that they themselves were not willing to do. They were hypocritical religious dictators, not spiritual leaders. If you come to church on Sunday or meet with other believers in a growth group throughout the week, and your burdens only feel heavier when you leave, then something is wrong. According to Galatians chapter 6, Christians are called to step in and to help bear or carry each other's burdens. Now, this doesn't mean that we try to completely remove someone else's burden and to carry the load completely ourselves. We were never meant to do that. That would be too much for one person. But we are called to walk alongside each other at all times, especially during the difficult seasons. One of the primary roles of the elders in our church is to spiritually care for our church family. And they do that a number of ways. They do that by praying for you, 
by teaching the word of God and by leading us in the way that they believe that God is leading the church. Part of their role is to care for this church in a way that doesn't add to people's burdens. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to be part of a church where the elders lead by example. They genuinely love God and they love people. The religious leaders in Matthew 23, they did not. They had a false concept of ministry. I think we have to always be on guard for these kinds of things so that we're continually caring, ministering to, and leading others in the way that God wants us to. God wants us to have a correct view, a correct concept of ministry. That leads us to the third point today, and that is that the religious leaders had a false concept of greatness and success. So not only did they have a false concept of righteousness that led to a false concept of ministry, but they also had a false concept of greatness and success. We see this in verses 5 through 12. It says, Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. And then Jesus says, don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Now we know that Jesus is not talking about your your dad, your, your earthly father. He's talking about spiritual leaders. That's the context. You shouldn't address anyone as father. And then he goes on to say, and don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For these religious leaders, greatness and success meant receiving recognition and praise from other people. That's what it was all about for them. Last week, we looked at Colossians 3, 23 and 24, and I want to reread these verses because I think it's timely and it's appropriate for the passage that we're looking at today. In Colossians 3, Paul wrote to Christians, he said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So instead of working for the Lord, These religious leaders were more concerned about the approval of man. They used their fancy clothes, the authority they'd given themselves, and their their religion to attract attention to themselves instead of pointing people to God. The Pharisees, specifically, were convinced that position and authority were marks of greatness and success. Let me say that again. They were convinced that position and authority were marks of greatness and success. Well, friends, that's not what God's Word teaches us. I think that's why they wanted to sit in the best seats at public dinners and to be greeted in a specific way when they walk through the markets. Warren Wiersbe correctly wrote that where a man sits bears no relationship to what a man is. Where a man sits bears no relationship to what a man is. Friends, where you sit, what you wear, the amount of formal education that you have, what people call you, your social status, these are not accurate marks of greatness and success. In fact, Later on in these verses, Jesus said there's actually a spiritual equality that exists amongst the children of God. That means that nobody in God's family is greater than or less than. In fact, true greatness, true success, according to Jesus, is found in serving others. It's not found in forcing others to recognize and serve you. We see this in verse 11 and 12. 
Jesus said, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus highlighted three flaws of these hypocritical Pharisees. Flaws that we should learn from so that we don't end up making the same mistakes. The religious leaders had a false concept of righteousness. They thought it was all about what people could see on the outside. But that's not what Jesus said. He says it's more about the heart. The religious leaders had a false concept of ministry. Instead of helping remove some of the burden in people's lives, they only added to the burden. Jesus said, never lifting a finger. All their man-made rules and regulations, this wasn't good. They had a false concept of ministry. They also had a false concept of greatness and success. You know, where the world... And their example says that it's all about the amount of money you have, how you look, your social status, the job, your education, all these things. Jesus says, no, that's not what defines greatness and success. He says, the greatest among you must be a servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, I think greatness and success has a lot more to do with how we serve God and others. Because ultimately, that points people to Jesus. All of these things flowed out of evil hearts that didn't love God or people. And that's what I hope that you'll see from this controversial encounter today. It all starts with a sincere faith and a genuine relationship with Jesus. You know, if you know Jesus, I want to encourage you to learn from God's word today. Ask God to help you apply these truths to your life so that you can serve him and others well. If you don't know Jesus, today can be the day that you make the most important decision that you'll ever make. If you go to our website, you'll find our church email address there. There's a request prayer button as well. You can fill that out, and I would love to get back with you and talk with you more about God's plan of salvation, how you can take that next step in your faith journey. Man, I think this is an awesome story. It's certainly a controversial encounter, but I'm glad that God has preserved his word so that we can learn from his word. And we can be faithful in living for him, serving him, and how we serve others. I'll be praying for you this week, and that you would ask God to help you apply these truths to your life.